Hello and welcome back to the Stag Student Podcast, a podcast for students at St Andrew the Great Church, Cambridge. We're listening back to some of the best student lunch talks from the past 10 years, and this week's episode is from 2016, where Will Zong talks about persevering as a Christian. How do you keep going? How do you know if you're going to be a Christian for your whole life? Will answers those questions and others. God is faithful and he promises to keep us and warns us to keep going. Will used to work with local Christian unions as a staff worker for UCCF here in Cambridge. At the end of the podcast, there's a Q&A where he's joined by Alex Weston and Louise Gilmore. I hope that you enjoy listening. The Bible tells us that we are all in fact in a race. Uh, whether we realize it or not, we are all in the race of life, where the prize is, of course, eternal life. And as with the marathon, you don't run, you don't start without aiming to get to the end, and finishing is everything in this kind of race. And I don't know whether that excites you or whether it scares you, but I imagine that at some point, the question will come up. How can we be sure that we'll make it all the way to the end? How can we be confident that nothing will come and kind of knock us out or take us out of the race? How can we be sure that we'll keep on the the straight and narrow all the way till the end? And it's a good question. And it's a very important question. And wonderfully, as you'd expect, we get a wonderful answer in the Bible. And my prayer for us today, I've written it down here actually, is that we see more of the joy that comes from knowing this answer. Um, It's not just an interesting topic, it is an interesting topic, but far more than that, this is a topic that should bring us great security, great liberation, great joy. Um, That's my prayer for us this lunchtime. So let's jump right in. God promises to keep us till the end. Let me just read out uh, John chapter 10. Jesus says, he's speaking about Christians, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. God promises to keep us all the way to the end. Uh, There's an American chap called Sam Storms, which is an excellent name, isn't it? Um, Writing about this topic gets to this verse. He says this, Can we agree on one thing before going further? Will you concur that no one means no one? You don't have to go to seminary or be able to read Greek to figure that out. God holds us tightly. Who can steal from God? Who has the strength or the cunning or the power to outwit and outmuscle Almighty God? And you've got to say, fair point, right? I mean, it just happens to be that God is the one who's in control of everything. He is the sovereign Lord of the whole universe. Who or what could prize anything out of his hands? It's wonderful, isn't it? And then in those Romans verses, we kind of get some color to that, where Paul says that not even suffering and hardship can take Christians away. Uh, Whatever form that might take, however extreme that might be, Christians are safe. In fact, he goes as far as saying that nothing we can see in all the creation around us, not even spiritual forces, not even death, can take the believer away. And it's not even just that God is big, because he is but also because he's still committed to us. Alistair mentioned this earlier. He did not even spare his own son. He did not even spare his own son. What greater sign of commitment could we want? He is overwhelmingly for us. Those who trust in Christ 
are safe from condemnation. In those verses again, Jesus died for their sins. He's raised to life. He now sits at the right hand of God and even intercedes for us. What greater security, what greater commitment could you want or ask for? And yet, if that, if that wasn't even enough, then we get to those verses in Ephesians where we're reminded that when people believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them and he's described there as a deposit, a down payment or a kind of pledge. And you know how those work. You pay a sum of money and that's to signify that there's more to come. It's a promise of your commitment. It's a sign that you are going to follow through. And it's a bit like an engagement ring. Not exactly like an engagement ring, but a bit like an engagement ring. And I've got to be careful when I say this, but if we're honest, engagement rings aren't the cheapest of things you can buy. And so if you're going to give a ring to someone, you've got to be pretty sure that you're going to follow through. And if that's the case, then how much more... Oh, I don't know why I said that. And if that... <laughs> But if that's the case, then how much more confidence can we have uh, that God will follow through on his promises? If his spirit now dwells within us, how sure can we be that he will follow through? The spirit is within us, acting as a deposit, guaranteeing our future inheritance. Marvelous verses. And I just wonder, what else in life can offer that much security? What else is there that we can have that much confidence in? There's all sorts of things that we just kind of come to expect, don't we? Or that we're just used to. And we're lucky enough in this part of the world to live in such a kind of wealthy and stable environment. And there are a lot of things that we are used to, that we come to expect and we come to have confidence in. And yet none of that even compares to the assurance that we have here in the gospel. And what that means is that even when difficulty strikes, even when we feel distant from God, even if we feel cold towards the gospel, even if we feel kind of weighed down by our sin, paralyzed almost, even if we feel utterly isolated as a Christian, we need not fret. We've got it on promise. God's committed to us. He will keep us till the end. And the chances are that those things will happen to us at some point. Now, we don't know how, we don't know when exactly, but life is far from straightforward. And yet, we can still look forward with utter confidence. Uh, God promises to keep us till the end. That's not bad, is it, as far as promises go? But let's dig a bit deeper then into this doctrine. God calls us to keep going until the end. And we'll think about these two things, kind of how they relate. To keep going, phrased in all sorts of different ways. You get that language of standing firm under persecution uh, in Matthew there. Um, this promise that there will be opposition for those who bear Jesus' name. Uh, but with this promise also that they will be saved if they hold on all the way to the end. And so implied in that is this call to stand firm all the way to the end. Similar thrust in the first Hebrews verse as well. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Hold on, he says. Hold on to that conviction that Jesus is king, that the gospel is true all the way till the end. Or perhaps the language of not moving away, moving on from the gospel. John 15, remain in me, abide in me. If we remain in Jesus, then that will lead to life. But to not remain in him, will lead to death. All different ways of saying the same thing, continuing, running the race, standing fast in God's grace. Different ways of saying the same thing, to keep believing, to keep repenting, to keep going in the faith all the way till the end. 
And we started with that image of the marathon, didn't we? Now, you don't run the first few kilometers only to stop. You run all the way to the end. Uh, finishing is everything. And the message we seem to get here is that it is only those who persevere to the end who will ultimately be saved. Now, what do we do with that? <laughs> what do we do with that? All sorts of questions could come up here, but we'll focus on two questions for now. First question then, does this mean that a Christian can lose their salvation? And before we go on, let me just say that this is a very serious question. Uh, it's not something to be kind of trifled with. It'll be uh, laden with emotion for quite a number of us here. Uh, so certainly not something to treat lightly, but it is worth engaging with because I'm sure that, again, a lot of us here will know people who we've known as really going for as Christians and yet who seem to have walked away. And so the question is, what do we make of that? And Christians do disagree on this, but the starting point surely must be what we've just looked at. God's overwhelming commitment uh, to keep Christians till the end, how overwhelmingly secure the Christian is. And so given how clear that is, given how strong that is, you wouldn't think it was possible for God to then lose someone, would you? Either he isn't as mighty as we think he is, or he's just outright lied to us. Now, what do we make of that? Well, maybe there's something else we can say. So if you flick over to um, 1 John, and I think we get a really helpful insight here. He's speaking about those who had left the fellowship of believers, and he writes this about them. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. In other words, their actions revealed the reality. The fact that they didn't keep going revealed that, in fact, they never had been true believers in the first place. For John writes, for if they had been true believers, they would have kept Going. And I take it that that's the way that we're to understand it when people seem to, to fall away. It's not that God has managed to somehow lose someone by accident or that his promises aren't actually trustworthy. But rather, outward appearances aren't the full picture. So take Judas Iscariot, for example. And you know how the story goes. At the Last Supper, Jesus says to his disciples, um, what does he say? He says, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And as you know, they all stand up and point at Judas and say, it's him, isn't it? I know it's him. They don't say that, do they? They say, is it me? They don't know who it is. From the outside, they all thought that Judas was one of them. And yet Jesus, from the beginning, knew that he did not truly believe. See, outward appearances aren't the full picture. And it is possible that people will look like believers, but if they ultimately turn away, all we find here is that it reveals that they never were uh, truly believers. And again, I don't say this lightly, and it's not something to be kind of joked about or kind of thrown around. The question of whether someone is saved or not is the most serious question we could bump into. And certainly not something I find easy, just from past experiences with really close friends, uh, family members who have passed away. It's not an easy topic, but this does seem to be how the Bible answers this question. And there's all, all sorts of things we could talk about on that. Again, please do keep using the purple, lilac, or lavender cards. Um, but let's move on to a second question. Sure, we might say we can see that true believers can't lose their salvation, but maybe, well, we can start to doubt this big promise that um, God will keep us. Or at least how do we square the two, this call to keep going 
and yet this promise that God will keep us. And this is crucial. The call to keep going is the way in which God keeps us. as the means by which he keeps us till the end. So these two things aren't contradictory, and in fact, they're not even separate. Uh, rather, they're part of the same thing. And so if you turn back to 1 Peter with me, the start of his letter, he's writing about this great hope that the Christians have, uh, this inheritance that's utterly secure. And then in verse 4, he writes that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you through faith, um, who, are, um, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, having this great inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade is all well and good, but only if you can be sure that you'll make it. And Peter has every confidence that his readers would. Uh, we would have seen that earlier if I'd given you enough time to look at that verse. But if we read closely, what we find is that God doesn't guard us apart from our faith, but rather he guards us through our faith. So I'll say that again. God doesn't guard us apart from our faith, but rather through our faith. So it's not something kind of external that's bolted on, and we're not kind of completely bypassed. We're called to keep going in the faith all the way till the end, and God's power protects us precisely by sustaining our faith. Do you see what he's saying? By God's grace, he keeps us from turning to false gospels. He nourishes our faith. He sustains our faith. And so you'll see on your sheet, just on the other side, I've summarized it like this. God keeps us keeping going until the end. We're called to keep going. We know that God keeps us. He keeps us keeping going. I know it's both clunky and cheesy, but it's all I could come up with. But it is a wonderful truth, isn't it? This call to keep going all the way till the end doesn't have to etch away at our confidence in God's promise to keep us. He keeps us keeping going. He keeps us repenting. He keeps us believing. He keeps us trusting in Christ. And what that means is if we're trusting in Christ, then we are safe. Or rather, if we're trusting in Christ today, then we can be utterly confident. We don't look back to past kind of things, to just when we became a Christian or to past experiences. If we look to the present, am I trusting in the promises of Christ now? If I am, then all of those things that we talked about earlier, that great security, the great confidence, that can be ours. We need not fret if we trust in Christ today. And I'm sure, again, there'll be all sorts of questions which I probably won't be able to answer, and we'll pass you on to Rich. But before we get on to that, just a few minutes on kind of what this might look like practically then, what it might look like then to keep going. And just three quick things there then. Rhythms. Being aware of changes in rhythm and doing whatever you can to establish good ones. The summer holidays are nice and long, aren't they? I was working out this morning. You guys say, what, three to four months, is that right? That's like a, third, a quarter to a third of a year, which is remarkable. I'm not jealous, I'm just stating the fact that they are very long. <laughs> nice long summer, very exciting, and yet there are challenges though, aren't they? Um, we complain about being busy, and yet we actually, or at least I know, I find not being busy quite difficult to deal with. Not having structured time, not having a particular start to the day, or traveling, uh, crossing time zones, being away at weekends, that can really disrupt our kind of sleep and daily patterns, or even just a change in living kind of environments going on holiday with friends, even being at home. I often found that it's just so hard to get personal space when you're back at home. And that can, all of these things can disrupt our daily rhythms. And so whatever you've got lined up this summer, do what you can 
to make sure you can still read your Bible to keep praying regularly. Uh, my old youth leader used to describe the Bible as this big love letter from God, which means that every page you turn to is just cause for smile. And it's wonderful, isn't it? It nourishes us, it sustains our faith. And so in view of how all these changes in rhythm could well affect us, do what you can to plan ahead and to make sure that you can still uh, establish good rhythms. Second thing, then community. Uh, we all know, don't we, that going it alone is just infinitely more difficult. And so do what you can to remain in a good Christian community. It might well be that you don't have a church at home that you can call your church for whatever reason, or maybe the local church doesn't teach the Bible, or maybe you're moving on from Cambridge and moving to a whole new city. Well, make sure that before you leave Cambridge this term, you've investigated, speak to your focus leader, maybe a student worker, uh, to ask about churches uh, back at home in the new place that you'll be living. And think about your friends. Oh, it's easy, okay. It's easy, isn't it? And I don't answer this because it'll be really awkward if you do. It's easy, isn't it, when you leave Cambridge to forget about your Cambridge friends. Out of sight, out of mind. And it's just easy, isn't it? But why don't we take that initiative to serve each other by trying to meet up in person if possible or committing to stay in good contact, asking each other those questions, asking about our walks, seeing what we can pray for each other. First year, oh, actually, no, everyone. And this might sound weird, but do you have good friends? Awkward silence. No, <laughs> no yeah. Do you have good friends? I'm not thinking about numbers here. Do you have someone that you could turn to when things are difficult? Do you have people that you can trust to check on you, to see that you're doing okay? Those of you who are graduating, who will you keep in touch with going forwards? Who will you keep meeting with in order to spur each other on? Moving on from Cambridge doesn't mean the end of Christian community. Do what you can uh, to remain in Christian community. The final thing there, hope. Let me read you something that John Owen wrote about this. Um, he sets the scene of a, a bunch of people heading out to sea on a voyage to this kind of distant, remote country uh, where it would be their rest, their abundance, um, their inheritance. I can already see the parallels, but this is what he writes. Some of them, some of these guys, had only a general notion of what to expect. They didn't know any of the particulars and they were content to set out on this journey with just general hopes and expectations. By contrast, there were others who, were, who, by all possible means, acquainted themselves particularly with the nature of the climate where they were going, with the excellency of their inheritance and provision that was made for them. In the end, the voyage proved long and wearisome. The difficulties many, the dangers great, and they had nothing to relieve and encourage themselves with but the hope and expectation of the country where they were going. Those of the first sort tended to despond and faint, the general hopes were not able to relieve them, but those who had a distinct notion and apprehension of the state of things where they were going and of their incomparable excellency always had a readiness with which to cheer their minds and support themselves. Set your hope on the future, he says. Uh, do what you can to meditate and to think about that future glory. That's how to keep going, he says. Rhythms, community, hope, three gifts that God has graciously given us to help us as we seek to keep going. Remember, God keeps us keeping going. And that's a wonderful, wonderful promise. I'm going to stop there. We'll have time for questions in just a moment.
if outward appearances are not the full picture, this means that I can think that I'm a Christian because I go to church, etc. but actually I'm not. So how can I know that I'm really a Christian? Um, same question, how can I know I'm saved? That's a very good question. It is true that we want to be careful then of kind of just trusting in outward appearances. And so that thing about present trust in the promises of the Lord Jesus, I think is the crucial one here. Uh, the question is, do you currently trust? Are you thinking, oh, well, I go to church and I do all of these things? Or am I resting my assurance on the fact that I trust Jesus at the moment? If I die tomorrow, uh, what is it that you're trusting in? And I guess the kind of questions to do with that, do you have a kind of a living and active relationship uh, with him? Do you read his words? Do you pray? Um, those kind of things, I guess. Do you have a living and active relationship there? Other kind of things that might then encourage us to say that, yes, I am a true believer, is then the evidence of the, the work of the Spirit in our lives. So evidence of the fruit of the Spirit uh, over time. And in that, you've got to look at the long term. Uh, the Bible assures us that actually this side of Jesus' return, all of us, uh, none of us will be perfect, sorry. Mm. And so the question is kind of long-term growth. Uh, do I have evidence of the Spirit working in my heart, changing my heart uh, to become more like that of Christ's? Great, thanks. Um, thanks, Phil. Um, maybe something a little bit similar, but what would you say to a Christian who's worried that they might be um, uh, a closet Judas and therefore lack assurance? I don't think I've ever come across the term closet Judas before. Well, that's excellent. Um, if I'm honest, I'd say a similar thing, essentially. Um, love for Jesus, love for his word. And again, kind of think of long-term growth here. But that present trust, um, I guess for Judas, then again, from the outside, we don't know his heart. Uh, God is the only one who can see into our hearts. And so I guess kind of a, as a good friend, you can speak openly and to say, well, in your heart of hearts, is this what you trust, or actually, is it something else? Sorry, that wasn't a very good answer. Great, thanks, Will. Um, there's a couple more practical ones. So, Alex, maybe advice for those of us here moving on to a new place where there may not be as much kind of spiritual support available. Um, how would you start answering that question? I think take a step back slightly. So if you're thinking of moving on, if you're graduating, I think decide to go somewhere thinking, how is this, how I'm going to keep running the race? So that means thinking, I need, I need to go somewhere where there's a good church, where I'm going to be taught faithfully, where it's going to uphold Jesus, where I'm going to be able to serve and be part of a community. Um, and we need that. So if you're making decisions about that, put that first, put that before job, put that before um, being close to, I don't know, the swimming pool, if you like swimming, whatever it is, church. If, if you're in a situation where you're heading back home, perhaps you don't know um, what you're going to do um, yet, I think still do that looking for a church. Um, look around, look on websites, come and chat to us. All the things Will said as well, like keep in touch with friends from here, um, make sure you meet up with each other, read Christian books together, um, pray together, do all of that um, sorts of things because we, we can't keep going on our own. We, we need each other. So I think try as, yeah, as much as possible to get that support. Maybe just one final question. Alex, um, how do you keep reading the Bible when it's dry and you're not enjoying it? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Don't give up. 
I think, keep going. I was reading this morning, in uh, just flicking through Hebrews 3 and 4, and it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And I, I just thought that's, that's quite a good reminder to be not giving up. So it says, today, if you hear his voice, we're meant to be hearing God's word. And... And I think praying for that receptivity to God's word and, and being receptive, having that soft heart. And, and if, we, if, we feel, if we feel kind of in danger of hardening our hearts a little bit, I think pray, um, ask for God's help, uh, chat to a friend about it um, and, and pray that through together. But I think, I think don't give up. So God, God keeps us by us keeping on trusting and reading his word. So we, we just keep going. And there, there are times when it's, it's harder than others. And it might be thinking, okay, is there, is there a new book of the Bible I can get into? Can I get some Bible study notes that's going to help me keep going over the holidays? So different things we can do. Um, but I think, yeah, praying for that would keep softening our hearts to God's word. Great. Well, would you pray for us? Father, we do thank you so much for this wonderful truth that we find in your word, that you do keep us, and you are overwhelmingly for us. You are the almighty God that no one can snatch us out of your hands. We thank you and praise you for that, and we pray that this would fill us with great assurance and confidence as we leave this building today. Pray that we take seriously, I guess, this command to keep going and to persevere, uh, but to do so resting in the promise that you keep us keeping going and giving you praise, therefore. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you've got any questions, do send us an email at students at stag.org. Otherwise, I'll see you soon.